welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, from the band Nerve Herder, a beloved songwriter by, by my whole family, Perry Grip is on the show today, and this is a very fun conversation. More on that in one second. But first, to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message over to me. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Damien. There's a Turned Out of Punk Instagram page and a Turned Out of Punk Facebook page, both run by Tristan. And those are on Turn It a Punk on those platforms. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it. Or you can subscribe to it and rate it on your platform of choice. Or head over to TurnItAPunk.com and grab a t-shirt. Thank you to everyone who has done that. Very much appreciated. Uh, helps uh, keep the lights on. Well, I'm paying for this thing out of my own pocket now. <laughs> it makes a dent. It makes a dent. Uh, and thank you for doing that. I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. You can find out more information about all the stuff we got going on. We are we are busy little beavers in Fucked Up. You can find that over at fuckedup.cc. Uh, we got some Halloween shows in Toronto. Maybe a couple more things before the year's out. Uh, we'll, we'll you know check check fuckedup.cc. A uh, bunch of records, lots of records coming out. That's for sure tons very prolific period for our band maybe the world doesn't demand it right now but we are we are giving it to you so if you want it we got it fucked up.cc all right on to today's show as i said off the top on the show today perry grip now perry is someone that i first came became familiar with as a songwriter through nerf herder uh, Sorry was on the My Records compilation and was a, a Toronto uh, uh, punk hit. You know, looking at, uh, like I think it was played on Mods and Rockers, certainly. And this before I was on the show. I would listen to it there, got that compilation, love that song. And then Nerf Herder put out their first record. And my gosh, it was one of the few bands that I can say my brother, myself, and my dad we're all into at the same time. We all love those songs. And now fast forward, God, 20, 30 years, 20 plus years later, close to 30 years later. And here I am with my kids and we all love Perry's songs that he's writing as a, as a songwriter. Now, you know, he's written a bunch of different food theme songs and just tons of songs that my kids are obsessed with. And so to have him on the show, I can truly say he is a songwriter beloved by my whole family. And the one thing that has been true the whole time is this guy knows how to write a catchy song. And uh, getting the opportunity to sit down and talk to him, it was, it was a huge thrill for me. Thank you to my buddy, Melanie Kay, for making this happen. Melanie uh, has you know, been on the show before. Check out Melanie's episode. But Melanie, Melanie's also helped get a lot of cool guests on the show over the years as well. Thank you to Melanie for doing this and uh, setting this all up. Uh, I think I got, actually, I do have a couple notes before you check off into the episode. Uh, San Jose, I think, is the name of the town that I couldn't remember. I'm pretty sure it's San Jose. Oh, and because it comes up on the show a lot, check out Joe Sibbs' episode of Turned Out a Punk from the band Wax. Wax is a band that you'll hear. Comes up quite a bit in this episode because I bring them up a lot. But you'll, you'll hear it. It makes sense when you hear it. Uh, and that is it. I think uh, so. I don't know if there's any more notes. There's probably more notes, but forgive me for uh, not finding them right now because I, I don't know where I did with them. Anyway, but that is it. Remember, you can pick up the 20th anniversary reissue of Nerf Herder's album, American Cheese, out now on Fat Records, not on Honest Dawn's anymore. They moved right on up to Fat Records. Once again, you'll hear that talk about in the episode as that get talked about a little bit in the episode as well. Uh, that is it. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Perry Grip on Turned Out a Punk. Perry, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Well, where, very- where are you, where are you, by the way? I am in my basement in Toronto, Canada right now. Oh, okay. That's exciting. I haven't uh, spoken with anyone from Canada for a while. So this is uh, international talking for me. Well, and, and also not only am I a fan, but this is a rare achievement where you have not only impressed myself, but three generations of Abrahams with your music over the years. My, <laughs> oh, okay. My dad is a huge fan and wanted me to tell you that I th- he thinks you're one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Wow. But also, I've got to meet this guy. <laughs> he's got some stories. He, he booked shows back in the day and worked at track records with the Who stuff. So he's got, oh, wow. he's got some stories. His episode of this podcast is worth checking out. But more than that, my youngest children, when I told them that I was going to be interviewing the guy that wrote It's Raining Tacos... Oh my God! <laughs> we we had a new a, a new favorite guest on this podcast in my house. So thank oh, you for that's coming nice. on. Well, please tell them I said hi and uh, thank them for for listening to "It's Raining Tacos." That song pays for my uh, all my <laughs> dental work. <laughs> well, that's the power of Roblox. You know that thing is a a, a cultural. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 the MTV for this generation, I guess. It is. They love Roblox. I don't understand it. I mean, I'm involved in it somehow, but I don't, I look at it and I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. This isn't Frogger or uh, Miss Pac-Man. I can't figure this out. Well, we're going to get to those uh, in at some point, maybe the video games, but we got to start this off the way they all start off, which is Perry. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across that? Well, I can tell you the first time I heard the Ramones, which I think was my first, uh, my first exposure to punk was uh, listening to, to the Doctor Demento show, um, and I don't know if you know who Doctor Demento is. I don't know if you had him in Canada, but he's the guy who, for, on every Sunday night, has this show where he plays all this comedy music, and it's sort of historical. He plays really old music. He plays new comedy music. Weird Al got his start on Dr. Domino and his sort of peak was, I mean, I feel like it was his peak was uh, when I was in junior high, uh, like a hundred years ago. And I would tape his show every Sunday night and I'd listen to it and he'd play all these funny songs, but he would play, you know, some rocking songs that were funny. Um, They played Time Warp from Rocky Horror Picture a lot, which is kind of a rocking song. But I remember him playing um, Teenage Lobotomy and recording that and hearing that. And that was the first place I heard, I guess I heard punk rock because I was listening to to uh, the Ramones. And uh, it just seemed like another great song out of all the funny songs that he played. But um, I think that's probably the first time. And the other, the other option for my first exposure to punk was a record called, this needs an asterisk by the way, because it's not really punk, but it was called Chipmunk Punk. I don't know if you ever yes. heard of this record. Oh, I, I love that record. I know that but record well. I bought it and it was a great record. I was a kid, obviously, and I knew I loved all those songs. I think the only real, because it's like, it really, the, the, there's no punk songs, songs within a mile of it. I mean, the closest thing is Blondie, um, Call Me, which is like, not really super punk, but, it, <laughs> yeah. but they had punk roots at least. Yeah. Um, but I, so I think that was probably, uh, you know, that was probably it for me until I started listening to the Ramones. Like, uh, I think when MTV came out, they played like, um, they played, uh, that Ramones song rock and roll high school. And they played, uh, uh, was it rock and roll high school or was it, um, I'm pretty sure it was it was something from end of the century. They mm. they had a video for it and they played it, and I remember liking that. And then my first my first punk t- thing I bought was actually the Ramones, um, uh, Subterranean Jungle cassette that I bought, and that was sort of the first one. And I, I was probably I was in high school. I was probably like a you know I was probably like you know 15 or 16 years old when I got that, and I loved it. It was great. Yeah, and I think uh, going back to the Chipmunk Punk record, it's better than the Pink Panther Punk record, which also came <laughs> yeah. out at the same time. And so, so. you know, you know, it's funny is I just listened to a podcast. There's some other podcast, and I was just 
we nerf Herder just came back from chicago and on the plane i listened to the chipmunk punk like there's this podcast about weird records and they talked about that one and they also talked about the pink panther punk record which i had never heard of before but you know this record yes i have a a, a very bad addiction to buying records which is also dr demento <laughs> i think had intermittent uh kind of um syndication up here in canada uh-huh. But, but I think my exposure came mainly through the Dr. Demento records, which were. Yeah, that's right. He know, made records. Yeah, absolutely. And they were kind of ubiquitous and also a great source for stuff that I, you're like, right. Punk was kind of like just something that just didn't fit in. And because of that got slotted in with kind of novelty stuff. And I think that's yeah. like, you know, a lot of like the Dickies, a lot of that stuff got played because you know, apart from being amazing to us, but for so, a lot of people, it was hilarious. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So where yeah. did you kind of go for the Ramones? Like, what was the first live concert you saw? Um, I don't know what the first co live concert... I, well, the first live concert I saw that was kind of... This also needs an asterisk, is um, when I was a kid, there was this, like, Broadway show called Beatlemania. It was basically the Beatles play it was just a bunch of Beatles songs played by guys looking like the Beatles up there and so that would be my first live concert of a band but um I think I saw Cheap Trick early on and I saw I definitely saw the Ramones um back uh, it would have been later on but it was definitely with all the guys not Tommy but but sort of like uh when was, when did I see that what might have been like the Brain Drain tour or something like still not so not really legit, but like um, pretty, pretty good. It was in a tiny place too. this very tiny place. And and they're um, one of those bands that never got bad. You know, like even the worst Ramones record is pretty great. You know? Yeah, they always kind of sounded the same, but they're yeah. all they're all really good. They didn't uh, mess with the formula too much. And uh, I mean, I love those records, so much, especially the first four records I really love. And then later ones kind of. I mean, I'd probably love the other ones, too, if I had more time listening to them. But, mm. God, those first records are so good. I oh, loved yeah. them. I think some of the later records have, like, exceptional kind of ballad songs. Like, some of my favorite actual Ramones songs are on the later albums. Like, you know, some of the more, uh, I guess, melancholy Ramones songs. Even though I'm, the, my favorite records are probably, once again, the first four, like yourself. They're great bands. Amazing. Terrible, cursed band, though. It was just like what went on with them was was bad but i loved him certainly uh going back to yourself when did you start playing music um i started playing music in high school and i've never been good at playing music at all <laughs> but um <laughs> but i started so so i was into um you know i listened to the ramones and i listened to devo and i sort of listened to new wave and then i got into then when i was uh I think it was 16. I got into, um, I got into rush, started listening to rush and I had a whole year where I just listened to the band rush. And, uh, I said, I'm going to play bass. I want to learn to play this song, the trees. This isn't very punk rock story, but, um, anyway, so I bought a bass. I could never play any of their music or any of that song. <laughs> so I think that actually my ineptness at playing kind of led me back to like, Oh, the Ramones again. Yeah, this is, I can play this. And so it was, that's, you know, I think I, I really picked up a bass when I was 16. Then I switched to guitar for some reason, but um, yeah, that's my story. Rush is one of those bands that comes up on this podcast time and time again. And, you know, I think also being from Toronto, they, oh, they, sure, loom, yeah. they loom kind of large, but that first Rush self-titled album, that's like a punk record. Like there's, it's, it's got a lot of drive and energy to it. And certainly, yeah, you know, more than a lot of the stuff on the chipmunks punk record. Yeah, def definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and lyrically, it's not as um, like kind of sort of cerebral or whatever that kind of makes it more, more like a down to earth type of thing. But um, yeah. And then, so, but later on I got super and, you know, I got to where I only listened to, you know, minor threats and, and I really loved, uh, you know, of course I always loved the sex pistols record, but then um you know, the, the first social distortion record I really love. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, stipple fingers and those bands. I really, I really like those bands and I don't know. 
I, I, it's like any, anyone, you kind of listen to all kinds of different, you get into one thing, then you're into some other thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just from what I've heard from people, uh, that time in, in California was such a hairy time for concerts, you know, like the, the mid eighties, it, the hardcore thing had kind of come in and the gang thing had really started looming large. And a lot of these shows were, were no joke violent around that time from what yeah I that's right and and i i missed that stuff but i mean i remember hearing about it and i remember you go to a show and even into like early 90s it, there was always the threat of violence there um and there's some story i read recently where some guy was uh you know mike ness from social distortion this happened like maybe in the past five years, he was mouthing off about Donald Trump or something. And the guy and a guy walked up front and he was giving Mike Ness the finger and he kept, you know, flipping him off. And so Mike Ness went down and just punched him in the face and kicked his, <laughs> kicked his ass. And the guy's like, I didn't think that would happen. And it's like, dude, you're this, this is a punk show. And, and the guy is, looks like he could kick your ass. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know what right. I mean? He's Mike Ness. He's larger than life. You don't give him the finger and not expect him to like kick your ass. There's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, like, especially at that point, uh, a lot of these people were violent people in, in yeah, some cases that's right. and, and had, and were conditioned to become violent people because the scene around them or the cops they were dealing with at shows, like it was, uh, it was a well-worn armor at, I imagine Mike Ness is wearing at this point. Yeah. And I think people went to the shows actually to for violence and to like mm -hmm. to kick people's asses. I mm -hmm. mean, it was, uh, I remember we toured with the Vandals and they, you know, they uh, had like, you know, they kind of came out of that LA, that scene and they, you know, they had a good fear of skinheads and stuff. <laughs> so a healthy fear. Yeah. Healthy fear. It's <laughs> healthy good to be fear afraid of. It's good to be afraid of stuff somewhat. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when did the decline of uh, Paisley John Shaver? Form? Wow. This is a deep interview, I can see, because that's <laughs> that was uh, that was in 1990. 89, no, right? I think. That's right. Wow. You know more than me. Yeah, I, read a New, I read a New York Times piece about the band uh, in my research. Really? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It seems like it was a lead up to, it's like a kind of like a, 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 a short little feature, but a lead up to a show promoting a show, but you're talking about the Santa Barbara scene, talking about the influence of the Ramones. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. So, so yeah, the decline in Paisley John Shaver, we were just kind of an inept, but we're sort of a precursor to Nerf Herder. It was me and two other guys. And, um, we uh we were kind of we were real influenced by this band that came out of santa barbara that sort of went big it was a first band they go kind of huge out of santa barbara it was this band toad the wet sprocket and they of course don't sound like the ramones but they um inspired everyone to think oh these guys could do it we could also have a band and play and and become really famous right so so a lot of bands started in santa barbara i think because those guys were successful and so we were kind of playing and our style was maybe more like that a little bit um and then at some point it wasn't very good and at some point i started just simplifying the songs and writing more like ramonesy type songs and people seemed to respond to that and and it was more fun and so it kind of led it's it was like that band, we have a song called Down on Haley on our first record, which is like just a straight up like Buddy Holly three chord Ramones type song. And so it was that was the song we did in that band that people liked. And so, oh, we'll do more songs like this. So was it just did it transition right into Nerf Herder kind of thing once you started shifting the songwriting? Um, we that band fell apart and those guys, um, you know, I wasn't playing with those guys. And so I started playing with these other guys. And it was um, Steve, who's still in the band, who's such a great friend of mine, and and Charlie, who's the bass player. We just uh, we just um, you know you did some of the songs from Decline to Paisley, John Shaver, and uh, wrote new songs. And we um, really 
were focused on just playing shows in Santa Barbara just because it was fun to do. And a lot of people were doing it. It was sort of a scene, mm-hmm. like hanging out with your friends. So it would be fun to play a show. You didn't really think anything would happen with it. I mean, it was really crazy. I mean, the fact that that I played down on Haley last weekend in Chicago is crazy. Like that, that <laughs> seems insane to me. Well, I guess it's like, that's the thing about punk is there's a, there's a scene for it. And once you kind of get involved in this thing, there's it, it's, it's such an international. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. And that really, I mean, I don't know if we planned on that, but we kind of got brought in with, we, um, a band that we really liked uh, at the time when Nerfurter started was no effects. Hmm. And they had lived in Santa Barbara. And, and so, and of course, Joey from Lagwagon, Lagwagon was from Santa Barbara. We kind of knew those guys. And so somehow we, I mean, we're kind of influenced by that. Um, it was really nice that we, that Joey put out a record and that Fat Records helped with it and stuff. I mean, that's just luck of people being really cool. So, so we kind of got us into that scene automatically. What about um, a band like Wax? that would have been happening around then too. Were you yeah. in them at all? Yeah, we saw Wax and and we were kind of, the our only association with them was that they, well, they were from LA and I tell the story, um, this isn't really a punk rock story, but our friend Marco from Sugar Cult, I don't know if you've ever heard of Marco, but he sort of fits in a lot of these parts too. His birthday, I think it was his 22nd birthday, was at this Mexican restaurant downtown and he had a bunch of bands playing and the bands were, um, there's a band called Greed Thumb and there was a band called Wax. Yeah. And a band called Weezer. Yeah. And Weezer had not come out yet with their, their, their blue album was coming out like next week and they were playing in this Mexican restaurant. And Steve and I from Nerf Herder went to Marco's birthday who we knew and these bands were playing and we saw Weezer and we're like, Oh my God, Weezer, they're incredible. They sing about being in the garage. They sing about being a nerd. This is this is it. And so that kind of kickstarted us into. I mean, it's definitely like I. No one considers Weezer a punk band, but um, we we sort of were like a Weezer meets the Ramones, I think, because we couldn't play like those guys, but but we sort of like took some things from that. Uh, do you have what about like Avant Garde, like the pre Weezer band that Rivers had? Because Justin Fisher, who played in Nerf Herder, yeah, that's that too, right. right. And I've never heard that band. Um, he, but those guys, I mean, they were super metal guys and they yeah. came to LA to make it in metal. And they then metal was like, wait, there's this is over. And so they had to change. <laughs> They had to change their thing. And so, yeah, we, we were kind of, um, and our first tour was with Weezer, which is just crazy. We, we, you know, idolized those guys. And then it was our first tour was opening for them, which was really exciting. But, um, again, not very punk rock, but, uh, but we, uh, that's the, yeah, avant-garde. I don't know much about them other than that's the band that brought them to LA. Well, you you know, you say it's not very punk rock, but it's a weird thing where they are, a band much in the same way i guess cheap trick is that winds up influencing a whole wave of kids that become involved in punk rock so they almost are i guess grandfathered in in a way now yeah i guess they did kind of like pinkerton was influential on emo stuff but i I mean i don't understand it too well someone will probably be mad at me about saying that but (laughs) i was i i mean i could kind of see that it's interesting when you look at that band and their connection to Wax and you know Spike Jones and and all that thing. Um, I had I had a, an episode with the singer of Wax on and yeah, you w- keep talking about Wax. Yeah. And Wax is a very obscure band. Like I mean, they they're not a band I've heard anyone mention in like twenty years. But, but what's the story on them? Uh, they're they're a band that came out of this band called Frontline. That was uh-huh. a band that was from. Oh, I'm trying to remember the name. I believe I be, it's where Lars is from, and and Brian Ray Turcott, who did the book "Fucked Up" and photocopied, and it's there's a bit there was a big punk scene there, the faction as well. Uh huh. And uh, then out of this band, Wax kind of forms, but I think Wax is fascinating because they're the band that was just before it happened, and it's fascinating to hear them talk because Weezer's success was something that weighed very heavy on them because yeah. They were so close to it. I, and I've heard this from other bands. I've heard this from bands that were close to Nirvana. And when Nirvana happened, 
it weighed so heavy on them because it was almost like, well, it could have been us. We were yeah. that close to this when this thing happened. And it's fascinating. I don't know. They're a band that I'm very much fascinated by. Well, and Wax had that great single, which I think is called California. Is that the California? One? That's yeah. it. And it had the, it had the video by uh, Spike Jones and that, I mean, they could have, I don't know. There's a lot of luck. It's all luck. Absolutely. Luck. Well, they're the guys that told Spike Jones to make music videos. Really? I think even That's before funny. the Sonic Youth thing, before he had done the thing for a hundred percent, they got him to shoot one of their very first videos, the one before that, I think a couple before that, actually he shot, cause he shot all their videos. And I think even before that, he shot a cover for one of their records. Huh? Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're the, the Spike Jones Weezer connection. And that is uh, worthy of study on this podcast. This podcast is obsessed with the margins. That's what we find fascinating. I think going back to Dr. Demento, who you did a song with. That's right. We did. Well, he, he, graciously did as dr demento intro outro on the on the song uh that mentions him but yeah it was really awesome i mean it's one of those like dream come true kind of things having him and weird al and and us on a song that's crazy i think weird al very much in the same way as weezer is uh, a foundational artist for people like anyone that winds up doing anything in music came through weird al and, and remains with weird al you know you, yeah that's you, right you can grow with weird al yeah he's done so much different stuff and he's beloved he's a very nice guy like he, he's super nice he could have said nerfed or take a hike but he did he didn't say that <laughs> i always think about that all tomorrow's parties that he did where godspeed you black emperor played I don't know anything about that. What did he do? Uh, Godspeed, you Black Emperor curated a uh, All Tomorrow's Parties, I guess. And, uh -huh. and, and sorry, they got him to come and play it. So he went to this oh. very, very, you know, uh, uptight kind of indie rock all weekender <laughs> event at a holiday camp in England and performed for this audience i i heard it was incredible and he's one of the most legendary performances that ever went down there <laughs> amongst like my bloody valentine and and uh you know the, the like but that's so funny i gotta i gotta read about that yeah <laughs> that's amazing so i didn't know that so going back to when nerf herder forms is it almost immediately that there's kind of an audience around the band and and what was sort of the other bands you were playing with at that time was it like buck wild and glue gun or or Lagwagon, as you said no we might have played a show i don't think we played with Lagwagon right away i think it was just other local bands like there was a band summer camp um we played with gosh it was just all local stuff that you probably wouldn't have heard of but we did kind of instantly somehow we instantly had a following and i don't know why that was um, we definitely, we just started playing a lot of shows, as many shows as we could, even though we had six songs or something. Um, and we kind of uh, instantly had this following of like kind of little younger kids, like kids that couldn't get into a club. And um, I don't know why that is. And I, I still don't understand it, but it was kind of, it was nice. And then it was like a, it was like a rocket shot uh until we got signed and we're on mtv i mean it happens it had took two years but it seemed really fast and it was like just goofing around and not trying too hard and i mean no no plan it wasn't like we had some i mean a lot of bands you talk to they're like well we're, it's like our job and we've got a plan and we've got these like this uh, written out manifesto or whatever but no we didn't have any of that we were just kind of goofing around well yeah because the demo comes out in in 95 like how long after you formed is that first demo tape the rap foil rap for freshness wow you know a lot of stuff we came out <laughs> thank you for doing all this research by the way because it's it's interesting <laughs> to me um we probably did that it was probably a year after we got together but you gotta understand it was like you, we got together and we're like oh let's play some songs and let's play a show we weren't like trying too hard to to do anything <laughs> and then because the record comes out on my records first but i think there was there's a song on the comp i believe before that right yeah sorry was on the comp 
And there's a different version of Sorry on there. And Sorry had kind of turned into uh, a song that people thought was our best song. And um, I think Van Halen hadn't been recorded yet. I guess, it, no, I guess that was on the demo. But um, for some reason, people really liked the song Sorry. And that was sort of thought to be, if we had a hit song, that was the song. I think it just had funny lyrics that people laughed at. So um, anyway, yeah, that was on the the my my uh, records comp and it was a kind of a weird version uh and then uh and then they made our record well that and that i think speaks to the power of those comps back then where I mean, cds were so expensive so when you got one of those compilations like those compilations i think probably not having the sales figures but i imagine sold better than a lot of albums back then because as a fan you'd buy a comp and then you get to sample all these bands and otherwise you wouldn't get to hear them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was the old days. It's so funny. I don't think it's, it's so different now. Like in the old days, if you wanted to hear a band, you had to buy their record, which is like spending money, know someone who had the record who would let you listen to it. Or, I mean, you couldn't just Google up any band at any time and listen to them. I mean, it's, just insane that whole thing of being able to listen to any music from any time that you want in any second is really new like you had to put effort into hearing you would see someone wearing a shirt oh that shirt looks cool like what does that band sound like hmm you know i mean you just or you'd hear it maybe on the radio show like or see it on 120 minutes or something i mean it's just such a different time yeah or you catch it on dr demento like you'd have to catch yeah, you'd hear it on Doctor Domino, and yeah, you'd get the, you'd get whatever that was. It it's amazing when you think about the uh, like like you're saying how quickly it's changed, but how different reviews are now, and the importance of review. Like back then, reviews were kind of serving a, a bit of a public service in the sense of you couldn't sample the music for yourself, so you'd have to yeah. turn to this review to kind of get a sense of what you're going to be listening to if you bought this record. Yeah. And now we can all, like you're saying, we can Google it all and we can sample it all. So it's shifted much more to just hearing if someone shares your opinion on something or not. Yeah. I guess you're <laughs> right about that. Uh, uh. Uh, so once story kind of hit, did, did you, were you touring by that point? Like, did you have a sense that this thing was kind of getting out to people no, in Toronto no. and stuff or no, no one was hearing it. We, I didn't think anything of it. I, we just played in Santa Barbara. We might've played in LA once or something. And then um, Joey, I think Joey wanted to sign a certain band to his new label and they wouldn't do it and he couldn't find anyone to do it. And then, uh, our aforementioned Marco, whose birthday Weezer played at and who's in Sugar Cult, he um, he so told Joey, Joey, you should just do Nerf, get a Nerf Herder thing. And we were like really excited about it because no, who else would be interested? Right. And so he, uh, Joey, who's like this amazing guy, did, uh, you know, produced our record and we recorded it with Ryan Green, who was doing all the no effects stuff and went to a real studio and recorded on actual tape. And um, it was, challenging because we were amateurs uh, but um it was it was fun and then the record came out and instantly um uh i just was talking to this guy's brother pete from fat records the radio promo guy took it to live 105 and they like immediately started playing the song van halen and it and it just like boom took off and all of a sudden we were like getting signed to a major label and like going on tour with Weezer. It was just uh, crazy. That happened so quickly because I think uh, Arista reissued that record the same year. Yeah, I think it, well, it was almost, it came out in January, I think. And okay. so it was like within a year or like maybe six months later or something like that, it came out. I mean, yeah. it was really, it was really fast. And it was, it was, um, you know, it's like it happens fast and then you think, oh, I'm going to be riding in a limo the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. it's over really fast. It's also over really fast. That's the other side of the story. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's not over when you think it's going to be over. That's the other no, thing. No, it's not. You're like, you're like, oh, wait, 
It was over a while ago. I didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why am I not getting the things I demand anymore? But yeah, it's, but then, but then you guys have this unbelievable career. And then you, uh, you as a person, as a songwriter have this incredible career outside of the band as well. And it's a band that, you know, like uh, it would be a, an amazing documentary or TV show because there are all these peaks and valleys at different points where you wind up scoring one of the most iconic opening sequences in TV history. And I'm not even necessarily a fan, but I know instantly the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's theme. again a lot of luck, <laughs> just a lot of luck to that. But um, yeah, we and it seems shorter, like in retrospect, like it seems shorter the amount of time because we our first record came out and then we goofed around till it took three years for our next record to come out on on honest dawns mm. and um then another two years for american cheese to come out and then we like kind of gave up for a long time so it was just um i mean it's it's uh it was kind of it was hard it's like it's hard to say oh wait this is we're kind of done with this we can't do this you know what i mean definitely it wasn't wasn't easy that part uh, i'm fascinated by honest dawns and bands that wind up on honest dawns as opposed to being on fat records and i talked yeah. to kj from chick stigget about it. i even talked to mike about it yeah what was that your decision or did you want to be on fat and and <laughs> they gave you honest dawns because i would think it's it's like a sales boost just having that logo on your record at at, at a certain point to be on fat yeah to be on fat yeah and we didn't have any say in it or any <laughs> choice at all it wasn't like i mean i think it made sense at the time because we didn't quite fit in on fat mm -hmm. we weren't quite um that kind of band and um so we just uh it was nice being somewhere and yeah. and on yeah. stands they were really cool and i we thought it was kind of better for us more fitting for us but it wasn't our decision at all um i don't know what mike and aaron would say but um there or, or aaron but uh they uh they it was great actually because they were great they were super cool and they still are we're we're putting things out on fat things are finally our first thing came out on fat our our single came out on fat so we're uh we're on fat yeah, I think with the exception of maybe propaganda, like no one has a bad word to say about being on that label. Like it seems like a label that, you know, all these years later, people are still putting out stuff with. Like no one, no one went and reissued their record somewhere else or put out their records on another label. Well, we we were kind of lucky because um, Aaron really liked our band, and and so because of that, we were kind of just like a mascot type band, even though we weren't on Fat. <laughs> like we would get included just because oh Aaron likes these guys um and like Mike had us play our birthday party and and we uh opened for the first me first of the gimme gimme shows Nerford are opened for oh wow it was uh it was fun and it was just because I think they thought we were funny and also I think we were just the level of goodness where they're like okay these guys aren't going to blow us away they're just going to be sort of a funny <laughs> opening band and then we'll come out and hit them with the with the rock'em sock'em which is fine with me i love being a, being an opening band is the best deal in showbiz well and they also to be fair are not coming out there playing their own stuff they're coming out with the greatest songbooks in music history yeah to wow people great. with so they're playing with a stack deck i love that band they're they're great oh amazing and and once again a lot of spike was a one of my favorite guests that's been on this thing uh, at his episodes hilarious um but where did it kind of you know uh, how did it kind of happen with the buffy the vampire slayer soundtrack like why so, how did that um, come together our friend uh marco who we keep mentioning he figured in a lot of stuff he had a friend lisa rafael who was an actress in who is an actress in hollywood and very super talented singer and awesome person she was friends with Allison Hannigan from the show and she would listen to our, he, Marco gave her our record and she listened to it. And then she gave it to Allison Hannigan. The whole cast would listen to the show, listen to our record while they were making the show. 
<laughs> and they would come see our band. Like we would play and the whole cast would be there and Joss Whedon. And um, it, it was like, oh, who are these guys? And they're like, oh, come up with, you know, play a song for this show. And so we did that. And it's just a lot of goofy, goofy luck that happens with that. <laughs> Is that what led you to kind of wind up writing other stuff for TV and other things in, in jingles and things like that? No, it's totally unrelated. It does. You know, it's interesting. You could write if you write one thing I've noticed, because I've done have done quite a bit of stuff for TV mm -hmm. is when you write something good for TV, they don't go, oh, this guy wrote something good. Let's get that guy. What they do is they get some <laughs> other guy and they say, hey, make it sound like that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard they're doing that now with uh with voice actors even stars for for yeah. big animated things where they're just finding someone that could do a great impression for the sequel yeah that's cheaper it's way you cheaper a lot of money that way oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's gonna be some weird times up ahead in terms of entertainment i think and the stuff that's going to be coming out and churned out uh, <laughs> uh how did you wind up writing other stuff for for other tv shows in, in terms of because you also i want to talk about the wawa thing because you wrote a series of great songs for wawa which is as any touring band knows one of the best places to stop and eat when in pennsylvania and i, I think it's in uh, virginia too and a lot of other places now Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll tell this. I'll, I can tell this story. I'll try to condense it because it's pretty long. But um, so Nerf Herder came out with American Cheese and then 2004, we're just like, we can't do this. This is like not where it's like didn't look good. Right. And we can't we got to quit this. So I was going to get rid of all my gear and give up music. I was over it. And um, this it's like some point probably in 2005, well, maybe it was 2004, this uh, woman named Lisa Klein who managed a band called Brackets contacted me. Have you ever heard of this band Bracket? That was on Fat on, Records too. Yeah, yeah. They might have been on, or were they on Honest Ons or were they, I don't know where they were, but they were, they were a band. And she You're managed- right. I think they were both. They might be one of the ones that were on both. She contacted me and she was like, hey, there's this, I'm like pitching music for uh, ads and stuff. And there's this company, they want to jingle for these waffles that you dip and waffles. And there's going to be French toast and there's going to be pancakes. You're going to dip them. And anyway, we're just like looking for songs for that. And I was like, that sounds fun. Right. <laughs> and so within like 30 minutes, I wrote this song called, do you like waffles? Right. Yeah. Do you like waffles? And I recorded it on pro tools, which I had just got on my little computer. And, um, sent it to them and they got, they thought about it, but it got rejected. They didn't, they didn't want it. And so I just was like, Oh, I'll just put this song on the internet for people to hear. And it became huge. Like this huge blew up thing. A guy made a video to it and it just blew up huge. Like kids all over the world were singing, do you like waffles? And they still do. And it's still like one of the most popular kids songs. Like if you look at yeah. the top kids songs, like it's, <laughs> frequently in there it's been like the number one kid song like over and over since then and it's, i've heard uh, it i had no idea that was you but i've definitely heard that song so <laughs> so yeah it was it was really a big kid song and it was like oh wow and it didn't wasn't any money for me like yeah. somehow it was yeah. on youtube like before youtube was monetized and there was just no it wasn't released um and so uh i just made this record i'm like oh this is fun i'm just gonna do this is like keeping me from going crazy i'm just gonna write a bunch of these jingles and I did. And that's uh, a, a, a label. Um, I offered it to fat. I said, Hey, I've got these 50, these 50 songs that are really short. Like, will you guys release it? And they're like, no, we don't want that. They passed on it. But um, this label called Olio, which is sort of famous for doing um, like the, they were the first people that put out eighties music on CDs and stuff. And they did a reissues of stuff like, um, Yellow Pills by the uh, 2020, that band 2020. Oh, love that band. Oh, incredible band. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. He, anyway, Olio did all these great reissues and stuff, but they're still a, they're still a great label. Um, uh, and they were the first label that did all the Sparks stuff on CD when no one wanted Sparks. Right. Hmm. So they, but they were a great label. But anyway, the guy was like, oh, I saw Nerfurter play at South by Southwest. I, I love you guys. I'll totally put this out. And he put it out. And so um, 
I actually sold him the masters. And so he, he makes much more money than me, but he actually makes a lot of money from that (laughs) waffles song. So, so anyway, that song came out and, um, couple years then i just got work from that like people would contact me i did like a record for hallmark for their character for these characters hoops and yo-yo and then uh the guy the guy who um had done the video for do you like waffles uh nathan who is a great friend of mine and does a lot of my artwork his buddy was making the website for for wawa for the wawa hoagie fest when it was first starting and they wanted some like a funny jingle for the, just for the website. Right. So um, they, the guy asked Nathan, Nathan's like, Oh, you should get this guy Perry to do it. So he contacts me. I've never heard. I mean, I've heard of Wawa because we toured it back there, but um, you know, I don't live back there. Right. Most people out here don't know what Wawa is, but they said, Oh, can you write these, write a jingle for this? And so I, I was like, again, like the G like waffles. I was like, yes, this is, this sounds really fun. So I made I made four songs and three they liked three of them and they're like oh okay we'll we'll um we'll take these and I think I got seven thousand dollars for the for the three songs which to me seemed like the craziest hugest amount of money I'd ever seen in my life for writing for sitting at my desk writing music I was just oh my god this is incredible and so um a, the funny thing is that the guy um. The guy from Olia who put out Do You Like Waffles, he was helping me negotiate the contract. And when they were negotiating the contract, he said, Well, what if this songs if these songs go on to be a TV commercial, like what are you going to give Perry? And they're like, Oh, that's not going to happen. That'll never happen. And he's like, Well, we need to put that in the contract. We just want to get a figure in case it does go to TV. And they're like, Well, it's not going to go to TV. It'll never happen. It's just for the website. But just what whatever you want to put in, and so Carl put in fifty thousand dollars for the yeah. for the for the songs, which to me I was like, that just seems nuts. That's crazy. But um, what happened was the songs turned out to be really, really popular, and there was some radio, some public radio station in New York that was that played them over and over so much that it was like the most popular EP called the EP because it was three songs of that year from the station in New York. It was crazy. Um, but anyway, so Wawa, of course, ends up, well, we got to do TV commercials next year. And so they had to pony up the dough. And then I continued to do, uh, do the, for 10 years, I did Wawa ads. I would say the, the cult of Wawa, and this is coming from an outsider. I'm in Toronto. We don't have them up here. Yeah. The, the cult around Wawa is, is paralleled with the cult around In-N-Out Burger, I guess. Yeah, that's right. People love Wawa. No one I ever talked to had a bad word. They were all really excited and um, they're good. And and the companies, they were super nice to me and super cool to me. And I, it, it's like a, it's not um, a corporation. It's like a privately owned company. So there's, you know, they're kind of, you know, it's not really totally guided by like profits and stuff. They, I mean, I'm sure it is, but but they uh, they were they seemed extra nice and to care about stuff, and I thought that was cool. I was lucky to be involved with them. It's not even just music. I was I was doing something about pro wrestling a couple of years ago, and I was in a van with a bunch of wrestlers, and they timed their drive so they hit a Wawa at the start of the drive and a Wawa at the end of the drive. Like it was. <laughs> <laughs> those were that's how they broke up the the run of the whole. People thing. love Wawa. People love it. People people love the cult of it. How did you get involved in doing stuff with uh, children's TV shows? So that was kind of out of the same thing. Like they, um, um, how was my first thing was uh, Marvel Superhero Squad. And that actually came out of a guy I went to high school with who was working on like as a Marvel super music supervisor. And I had had this other success with like Wawa. No, maybe it was before then, but I had Do You Like Waffles and... I think he was just like, oh, why don't you pitch a song for this? And they, and, you know, and the song got picked. And when you pitch a song for a TV show, a lot of times there's like 40 guys pitching songs. Like it's really um, pretty lucky to get selected. So fortunately I got picked. And, and so the theme song for Marvel Superhero Squad and that, that kind of got my foot in the door. And then just um, I started doing these dumb 
YouTube videos like hamster on a piano and cat flushing a toilet. It was just like, again, a goofy thing to like entertain myself. And those people would see those and go, oh, let's get this weird YouTube weirdo to do our thing, like to try it out. And so I, I ended up getting a lot of work because of that. So you're telling me you wrote who's going to hero up for the Super Who's going to hero up? Yes. Hero up. That was me. Like that's every time one of the best up. songs. That's amazing. <laughs> I've heard that song so many times. And I That's so and, funny. I'm glad you like that. No, I never skip totally the me. intro. Never skip the intro on that one. <laughs> wow, you're really flattering me tonight. I'm gonna send you a check. <laughs> I want this show to be a positive celebration of the people are, who are have been involved in my life in a musical way. So I, I I want everyone to leave this thing happier than they came in, hopefully. So that's my goal. Uh, I'm, I'm ecstatic i'm telling you i'm so happy about it well i think that's the that's the thing is you've written so many iconic songs you know not just in the band but outside of the band as well and it's it's amazing to find out about stuff i didn't even know about you know i went in excited to talk to you about a bunch of different songs and a bunch of different things but there's more that i had no idea about that i'm finding out you're uh you're very generous <laughs> uh why did you want to come back to playing in a band? Like if you're, if you're working outside of music, finding success, you know, outside, I mean, of like sort of band music, you know, finding success within music, like what was the draw to kind of come back to this thing that you said was kind of a grind? Um, it's just, so when, one thing that happens is that, um, so I, you're, you're right. I do have the success doing this other musical thing, but um, playing, playing music is fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And playing with, and and the guys in Nerford are all guys I'm super friends with. And we like go, you know, camping or fishing or something like that. Or we could play, play a show. It's that kind of thing. And, and that's really there's no there's no money in it. That's what I'm saying. There's no money in being a Nerferder. Um, but it's it's just something to do kind of for fun. And, and it's a good way to travel different places. And it's nice. Like this is nice. I, talking to you is really fun. And, and I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for for Nerfurter and, and just um, use thinking about it, not as, because the, the problem is, is when you, uh, when you start out, you're doing it for fun. And then when you, when you get to success, it becomes a job, which is kind of fun, but it's also scary because it has to work or you're, you're go broke or something like that. Right. So, mm -hmm. so it's, like being able to remove that element of having to worry about making money or being successful really puts it back to being fun again. So it's, I enjoy playing shows and, you know, we, we don't have a ton of people come see us. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll play anywhere we play. There's like a hundred to 300 people show up, but um, you know, it's, it's something to do and it's good exercise. I think it's probably a good aerobic exercise for any elder gentleman. I think it's also, amazing that you know these people that are there it's obvious that you've affected them enough that they still want to be there i find that when i play a show the less people that are there i'm like wow these people must really want to be here <laughs> yeah that's right that's a good point <laughs> and, and there's a there's a uh i don't know, just to put yourself in the shoes of the bands that influenced you in that way and and especially like we were talking about how many bands didn't make it to the point where they can't play shows anymore like they broke up like you know, yeah. another another opportunity for me to mention Wax, but there's yeah. uh, a lot of bands that just didn't get, you know, couldn't stay together, couldn't remain friends enough to get back together at a certain point either. Yeah, it's hard. Well, that's a really hard part, too, is it's very. Uh, it's hard to get along with someone, <laughs> get along with people. It's like a marriage thing. I mean, I know people always say that, but you really have to. Uh, you have to really uh, be willing to compromise in a lot of ways. And it's, uh, you know, it's easier if there's money involved, it makes it a lot way worse. So, so don't quit your day job, but keep playing music. It, it's like if you were working at a day job and every day the day job felt like the company was crumbling or that you were going to make it through the next day and you're you're sleeping with your coworkers. And I don't mean literally sleeping <laughs> with your coworkers, but I mean you're like literally sleeping with your coworkers and and driving from show to show and it's yeah. it's it's a uh 
yeah it, it it's a psychological drain and a yeah, emotional it drain it is were you were you all able to remain friends like were you did you all hit a point where you're like let's walk away from this while we're still able to most of us there have been a lot of people in Nurfurter, and there's definitely been some like people who were you're you're kind of like oh i don't really want to see that person and <laughs> i think that just comes down to um personality differences people or and then stuff happens and i don't know it's just typical stuff i think any bands any band that stuff is part of i guess but um yeah we don't it's not like we have a reunion every year and every member is there <laughs> but I, I guess i mean more like you and steve like i guess is that the like would you would you guys able to kind of like stay friends throughout this whole oh thing? yeah no stay steve and i were friends the whole time before and after and still <laughs> yeah no we're good friends so the, he, he put it he put up a lot with me because i'm like basically a crazy person so he <laughs> he did and i'm grateful to that he's a, he's like that's a he's like one of the great people i've ever known he's such a nice nice guy and and very supportive and just uh you know he's kind of like the dad of the band in a way even though i'm older than him but he's he's uh even keel so he's uh anyway it's it's that's lucky like if there was no steve there would never have been a nerferder but um yeah and the guys who are in the band now like ben pringle on bass and and linus uh linus on the guitar he's they're just great nice guys easygoing guys so it's it's fun to be around them so you mentioned earlier we were talking about the song with dr demento and, and weird al how long did it take to put that together in terms of a project because it's you know as you say you're like doing it for fun i imagine there's a lot of schedules involved like even reaching out to dr demento like how how did that whole thing come together I'll lay it all out to you. So, so the song itself was an outtake from our record Rockingham. So it was actually recorded in 2014, the actual music. And uh, it was kind of like just, I'd have like song ideas that didn't have words and we'd kind of toss them in there um, when we were recording. And so that track was like sitting around getting moldy. And then uh, I started just thinking about different we've also recorded since then we've like pretty much recorded a whole record of new songs that are sitting around waiting to be done but um that song was sitting there and i started thinking about um you know like a way to like have a song about dr domino and weird al and because uh, they meant so much to me and so that song i just started singing over it oh this will work and then i pieced it together and I thought whoa we could have we could have accordion here we could have someone play accordion and it would be like Weird Al was there right and then I thought oh, I'll ask Weird Al and then I uh and then I thought oh I'll ask Dr. Minnow and so Weird Weird Al was um was awesome I think I got really lucky I know a lot of people are kind of down on the pan pandemic and COVID and it's it hasn't been a great for every everyone but for me it made it possible for for Weird Al to record this accordion thing because he was I'm pretty sure he was like just hiding in a COVID bunker. This is before the vaccine and everything mm -hmm. and just trying to avoid getting COVID. And so when I contacted him, he's like, oh, well, you know, I happen to have a lot of free time right now. I can do this. And so he recorded the accordion, I think, in the basement of wherever he was. And uh, he he um, he it's funny because he said he would do it, which was awesome and then he really quickly sent me sheet music and he said okay this is what i'm gonna play here's the sheet music and i was like ow i can't read this what is this just like a bunch of chicken scratch on a piece of paper um because i can't read music and uh, so he uh politely played played it then and recorded it and i said oh that sounds great and then he recorded the parts and he was awesome. Like he kind of gave us advice on how to mix it and just, I mean, I'm a fan of the guy and he's incredible, but, but it was very easy from his standpoint. It was super easy. And he's gotta be like at this point, the Eddie Van Halen of, of accordion. Oh man. And he shreds on this track. 
it was funny because I asked him, hey, Al, could you play some shredding accordion on this song? And I kind of was joking a little bit. I just meant like, can you play accordion? I didn't mean to actually shred, but then like, like fireworks are happening off of the accordion keyboard. I mean, he really like, it's, it's unbelievable. And also, I think UHF is a horribly underrated movie. I went back oh, and yeah. rewatched it. It'll, it'll have its day. I'm sure it'll get a, it'll get like a kind of uh, like a retrospective grant or a Academy Award or something at some point. It's a Criterion good. Edition. Yeah. Oh, de yes. <laughs> that definitely needs to happen. <laughs> Up here in Canada, they actually gave him uh, a block of much music. There was really? like Weird Al TV. And unfortunately, our much music, much like MTV, has, you know, now it's basically a comedy rerun channel. But somewhere in the archives, there's this whole like three, four hour block of TV done by weird al that's that should be in the smithsonian it should be yeah you know, should be somewhere other than the basement of this building yeah <laughs> well perry this has been unbelievable and anytime you want to come back on and talk about minor threat or superhero squad you know the door is always open all right i'm i can't believe i used up all your time i talked so much listeners please i'm sorry i'm apologizing now thank you for listening to me Thank you, Perry, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Perry will be back for a part two at some point in the future. And uh, check out, once again, that reissue of American Cheese on Fat Records. Check out the theme for Superhero Squad, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, It's Raining Tacos, all those Wawa songs. Jonah from Fucked Up loves the, uh, the hoagie one. That's, that's, that's his favorite. Um, and we were talking about it on tour. And that is that. Uh, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk, not one, but two amazing guests from the band Archers of Loaf, the legends, Archers of Loaf, Matt Gentling, who also plays in Band of Horses, and Eric Bachman, who also of Crooked Fingers fame as well. And this is a fun conversation with two awesome people. This is a, I, I had a really fun time doing this one. And you will hear that uh, next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect their, their rights and, and, and their persons. Uh, we need to stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different religions and different nationalities. Because what we're talking about here, this is not politics this is just basic human rights shit stuff people deserve to be able to live free from hate and violence uh, if there's organizations that are making positive change and and working in positive ways in your community reach out and find out ways you can get involved and it doesn't necessarily have to be financially you can lend your time and lend your 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 body to to do stuff you know there's lots of ways to get involved um, and I would also add to this, and this is coming under attack in Canada too. There's some very frightening times up here as well going on right now. I would add to this, it's a basic human right to allow people to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems and making sure that people have safe access to abortions. This is a human rights issue as far as I'm concerned, as far as many people are concerned. So I would add that to this list as well. Try meditation. I really, I can't, I, every time I do it, I'm like, man, I need to do this more often. It really does, once you kind of get to a place where you, you, you let it, it, it really does. It feels like going to the gym for your brain to me. Uh, something that I dread doing until I do it, and then I'm so grateful that I did it. Try it. I didn't believe in it, and I'm, I know that flies in the face of thousands of years of, of thought on the subject, but... I didn't believe in it, and now uh, I, I get it, and it works for me. So maybe it'll work for you. Try meditation. Sign your organ donor cards, because by the time they come looking for these organs, you don't need them. You're dead. You're, you're, you're effectively dead at that point. But your organs can do a lot of good still. And it's kind of morbid to think about, but it is like a miracle when that organ 
gets to someone who needs it. I've seen it happen with my own eyes, and it is, whew, sign those organ donor cards. And uh, go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast, you know, write your own songs. Who knows where it goes? You could be writing the theme for Buffy the Vampire Slayer one day. You know, one of the most celebrated, iconic, beloved TV shows in the canon of TV shows. And you could write the theme for it. Who knows where you go with it? Who knows? You know, just try it. That's it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will see you on the next episode. Stay safe.